Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Jay, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on board. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. I've, I've listened to some of your previous broadcast interviews, and what do you think? I've seen the caliber of the people with whom you've spoken, and, and I'll just say I'm flattered that you asked me to participate. So oh, you absolutely shouldn't be, Dave. You. So currently, Jay, you're the, and you've been here for a couple of years here, you're the Executive Vice President, Chief Legal Officer. Have I got the pronounce, pronunciation right? Uh, uh, assurance? Assurance? Yes, you do. That's correct. Excellent. Excellent. Been there for a few years, but you weren't always the executive vice president and general counsel there, were you? There was a life before assurance. Tell us a little bit about that life. What got you interested in law in the first place? And a little bit about your career and perhaps some kind of pivotal moments um, in okay. your career uh, up until this point. So why not, you know, the, the, the Jay Rosenblum career journey, um, so I like to think of my 30-year legal journey in three distinct segments. So the first one is government. Yep. So I spent the early years of my career in government service, first as a clerk for a federal appellate judge in Washington, D.C., and then in a political role in the Clinton administration, first working on retirement savings policy at the U.S. Department of Labor, and then in the White House Counsel's Office. And then spent the next 20 years yep. in in-house government affairs roles uh, at highly regulated financial institutions during what turned out to be times of historic regulatory change. So first, I spent yep. about a dozen years at Ernst & Young, one of the big four accounting firms. Uh, the majority of that time was spent in their Office yep. of Public yep. Policy. Uh, where I was part of a team that represented the firm in its dealings with Congress and within executive uh, branch agencies. And that period of time coincided with the debate over and the, later the implementation of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which brought historic change to the way in which public company auditing was uh, regulated. I then spent the next eight years managing first federal and then state and federal government affairs at the Hartford. And that was in the heat of the 2008 financial crisis, which led to passage and implementation of the Dodd-Frank Act, which was, again, an opportunity to impact national policy at a time of historic change. And now I find myself in my third act, in which I've taken on senior roles in corporate leadership, first as chief HR officer at Guardian Life Insurance, and now as chief legal officer at Assured. And tell me... Um was it a deliberate path that you'd set for yourself, setting yourself the groundwork in government and public policy, then moving into private practice? Was that a deliberate strategy, Jay, or was it more happenstance? Tell me about that. How, how did you think about that earlier in your career? You know, it was not deliberate. It was very much uh, luck at, at every step along the way. So, yep. you know, my, my, my first interest in going into the law uh, there was no aha moment for me. I, I didn't spend my childhood dreaming of, of being a, a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I spent. I, I was a history major in college, and um, I had an intent to either uh, teach or maybe work in government. 
But then at, upon graduation from college, I took a break. I traveled, I worked, and at some point along the line, I realized that law school would probably open up more doors in teaching and in government, uh, maybe even foreign affairs, than would um, you know, just a, a career in teaching. So I went to law school. And I was in law school in Washington, D.C. during the 1992 presidential election campaign. I volunteered a little, nothing, nothing very big. And then I worked on the team managing the transition from President Bush to President Clinton. Again, um, answering telephones, you know, not a, a big substantive role, but it, I got that political bug. And that led to a job in the administration, which led to uh, government, which led then to a career in uh, regulatory affairs and government affairs. And tell me, what, what are some of the learnings that you take away from your time at the White House? Let me be really you know, a focus on that area. What, what were some of the learnings that um, uh, to this day that you think were important in your development? You know, I think, um, so I was doing this at a very early point in my career. Yep. Um, yep. And what I learned really quickly was that, you know, the, the ability to speak to people in positions of authority, the, the ability to speak my mind, uh, to come well prepared always and, yep. and have a point to make. But, you know, a lot of jobs uh, don't prepare you for that. So, you know, if you're in your 20s and you're working, you're talking to a cabinet secretary, you're talking to uh, a president. You know, yep. you really have to know your stuff and you realize that they're just people like you are. And yep. um, if you can do it there, then when you move into the private sector, you can do it anywhere. So it was really a phenomenal opportunity at a very early age. Yeah, I, I can well imagine that kind of, um, how can I put this, probably an empowering realization, I think, that as long as you were well prepared and you've done your homework, that you can you, you can speak with, transact with, you can you know converse with anyone, and the strategies that you adopt in doing so, early, learning those skill sets really early on. I just think, and getting that opportunity to, to, to build on those build those muscles, I think that's pretty empowering. Um, it, it is, uh, and I think empowering time. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, you know, early on in our careers. We probably all had that imposter syndrome when you're in this role yep. and you think that everybody is you know, going to some of realize. us are still some of us are, some of us have still got it. Let me call it out here. Some of us are still battling with the imposter syndrome, wondering will it ever go away? But anyway, continue. But you're on. right. It never goes away. Yeah. Um, but if you yeah. learn early on that you're not the only one, and if you learn early yep. on that you know, you can, you are smarter than you think. You do know more than you think. I think yeah. I think that's a great thing to learn at an early point in your career. Yeah. And also, and that it's okay not to know. It's okay not to have the answer to all the questions. It's what you do after that, I think, that really counts. And that in itself is empowering. That's I've heard that so many times, particularly from general counsel, being comfortable not knowing and calling out not knowing, but having an effective strategy to get the answer. Again, I think that's a really empowering skill set. I agree, especially as a, as a general counsel. If you're at a, a, a large firm like ours and um, with a very diverse set of products and services that you offer with um, legal compliance, government affairs issues with which you're dealing every day, 
you as the general counsel are the manager of the teams um, that are working on those issues, but you can't be an expert in every one of those. So it is critical to admit when you don't know, but to get the answer fairly quickly. Yeah. So, so fast forward now to your current position. Tell me about some of the early challenges and priorities. Let's talk about that. And then I'm going to ask you about the current ones and how it might have changed, what's changed over the last two or three years for you. Sure. So, you know, my my current challenges and my uh, first few uh, first two years in, in this position. Now, in order to answer that, I think I'd like to take a step back and to explain, you know, assurance, our business model, um, sure. because it does impact sure. what the challenges were in, in those first um, in those first two years. So our company has two main business segments. On the one hand, we're a leader in the provision of specialized property and casualty insurance products like renter's insurance, lender-placed insurance, but we're also a global market leader in an entirely different ecosystem of protection products and fee-based services around consumers' connected lifestyles. Things like mobile device protection, trade and upgrade, and similar service contracts for appliances, for automobiles, for the connected home. what attracted me to the company was not just this diverse product suite and the, the great leadership team, but the commitment to compliance as a competitive differentiator in what is largely for us a B2B2C business, so business to business to consumer. We have a, a, an impressive global uh, client list, including some of the world's largest and most trusted companies, and we access their consumers uh, directly through them not directly you know, the, through us. And so those distribution yep. partners rely on our emphasis on compliance because they know it'll mitigate the risk yep. that they're going to suffer if our products or our yep. services are not compliant. So knowing that important role, that, that then makes my challenges is making sure that we um, uh, fulfill that. So you know, since becoming uh, chief legal officer, my top priority is bringing that vision of the CEO and others to life. So we've had, in order to to meet the needs of our clients, we've had several strategic acquisitions in these two years to improve our competitive position. We sold one of our largest business units last year. We negotiated a multi-year extension of our relationship with one of our largest customers. You know, those were the priorities in my first years, but it was in order to make sure that we could... um, we could meet our, our clients' needs and, and their customers. Yep. And um, in terms of the so very much business and strategic priorities, delivering on the you know the overall business objectives, aligning no doubt to customer value for assurance. Tell me in relation to the actual legal department itself, the way you set yourself up, the way you deliver the service back to the business units. What 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 were your priorities around there, and how has that shifted? Um, or whether it has changed over the course of the last few years? So, you know, um, I was relatively new to the company when I was made chief legal officer, and that was a challenge. Uh, And it it required me to take a very systemic strategy, structure, people approach right out of the gate. So what do I mean by that? So that first priority upon coming uh, chief legal officer was to understand our business and understand our strategic priorities. Then once you understand that, then you have to assess and ensure 
that the team, the legal compliance and government affairs teams that I manage are structured to help the businesses achieve those strategic priorities and to protect the interests yeah. of the enterprise and to uh, mitigate against risk. Then once you see, once you have the strategies right, once you have the structures right, then the third priority becomes to make sure that you have the right people in the right places to thrive within yeah. that structure. Now, the good news is I inherited a great and diverse team of lawyers and compliance professionals who are dedicated to assurance and our stakeholders. But you know, I, I had to make sure that they had the right structure to empower them and to make sure that they had the resources necessary to best serve our uh, business partners. And that, you know, that priority right out of the gate hasn't changed. It never ends. So we are a dynamic company. We constantly innovate to best serve our clients and our customers. And, you know, the legal department needs to be as dynamic as the businesses we serve. So we have to constantly focus on ensuring that we have the right skills, we have the right subject matter expertise that our internal business partners require. So it's a, it's a never-ending journey. And, um, and Jay, can you call out any, any challenges? What are the top two or three challenges that you're prepared to share around those priorities, you know, in the current environment? And, and, and whether or not they were challenges at the beginning or whether they're starting, they're becoming more acute now. So, you know, I think from the, the challenges for me and then the challenges for the department, you know, the challenge for me, as I said, was I was, you know, new to this, new to the company, new yep. to being a yep. chief legal officer. So, you know, I had to really um, uh, not only learn the businesses, but, you know, prove myself to my to my peers and the CEO and the board of directors. And so you always have to you know, have a healthy, you know, level of concern that you're being the best chief legal officer yeah. that you can be every day. Yeah. Um, the challenges for our department, I would say, was making sure, as I suggested earlier, that we had the right, the right people in the right roles. You know, not every role in a department or in a company is created equally, right? Every, there are roles that have more impact than others. And so you have to really understand that about your department and make sure that you have um, the right people in those roles. So, so hopefully you do. Hopefully, if you don't, you can move people within your company to get there. Uh, but sometimes you have to go externally. Yep. So th I think that's that's yep. really yep. the challenges of managing a, a legal department, not specific to our department, in yep. any, our company in any way. But I think that's the, that you have to yep. be concerned with that in any company. Yeah, look, a theme that's certainly come through over the last month or two, um, or I think it was probably a theme pretty consistent last year too, was just around talent um, uh, uh, talent acquisition and retention, particularly in an environment where it's um, quite a robust environment out there. Is that something which, um, which is top of mind for you, Jay, just uh, acquisition and retention of the best talent and, and how you're going to create an environment which supports, you know, acquisition and retention of that talent? You know, um, obviously, uh, we're looking around the, the, the country and we're seeing this, what's being called this great resignation. And you're seeing people uh, move a lot more frequently than they might have in the past. I will tell you, yeah. sure, we've been very lucky that we have not seen that in mass. We haven't seen uh, people leaving. 
but it doesn't mean that it's not a concern every day for me and for others at the company. You know, I, I, I take it very seriously. Like if I want people to stay and if I don't want them to leave, then I have to show them that this is a, a great place to, to work every day, a great place to advance their careers, a great place to develop professionally. And uh, I work with uh, my uh, people organization every day to think about that uh, for those people in the most important roles, make sure that they understand that this is a, a great place to work. Yeah. And, and any particular strategies that um, Jay put in place to create that kind of environment to keep, keep people, you know, attract the talent, whether it's by way of you know, the learning and development stuff, whether it's you know, leadership courses, anything particular that you focus on to make sure that you've got that right environment? Yeah. So, you know, I'm very lucky in my, uh, in my current role that I had an experience in my career earlier where I was a chief HR officer for a, a Fortune 200 company. And that allowed me to really learn about the importance of talent strategy and the importance of being yeah. very purposeful around that talent strategy. And so when I came into this role as chief legal officer, and especially during COVID and during, again, the, the, you know, what, what people are experiencing around the com- country when it comes to talent, taking a very systemic, uh, purposeful approach to this. So I worked with my uh, people, my people leader. And we listed out who, who are the, you know, the, the most, the, those people in um, our department who have the most impact. And what do we have to do? What, what do they need? You know, what, are, what are their career aspirations? Yeah. What is it that they want yeah. to accomplish, uh, whether it's here or elsewhere? But how then can we convince them that the answer is not elsewhere, but the answer is here and develop yeah. uh, yeah. development plans for each one of them? So we, we took a very uh, purposeful approach to this. Uh, I, I like that, actually. And it also sounds like it's, um, what I like about it, it's really specific and tailored to the individuals so that you're really doing a deep dive and making sure that in relation to those individuals that the specific plan you're putting in place is relevant to them and their career aspirations and goals and objectives um that that's an empowering kind of strategy so i certainly i like that i think the more specific you can be so that the team is understands that you're caring about them and their individual goals and aspirations i think the the better those kind of initiatives um, are going to land and that sounds like that's the kind of approach that you've taken jay tell me about um let's talk a bit more broadly um, in relation to the legal industry. Any challenges that you think that you can see, let's say today, and perhaps just broadcasting out a little bit in the future, anything that um, is kind of top of mind for you in relation to the broader legal industry? Well, I will tell you that I think we, we all have seen it's a very hot market right now for specialized yeah. um, corporate attorneys. Um, and so... You know, when, when you have people who are who are really good, you have to make sure that you do everything you can to keep them. Because if they leave, it's it's hard to get the right people, and it's um, uh, very um, expensive to bring on somebody new and to train them. Um, so, I think the thing that I'm seeing across the legal industry is that 
you know, there are there are good people out there. There are good people in your organization. You have to keep them. And if you can't keep them, then you, you have to go out there and get them. And uh, so it's a good time to be a lawyer right now, I would say. Yeah. We've seen times yeah. over yeah. the last few years when the market wasn't as good. But I, I think it's a very good it's a very good time to be a lawyer right now. You're right in saying uh, we have seen times not as good. And, and there's no doubt there will be times ahead of us. <laughs> That won't be as good. We've had a pretty good run, I think. Everyone's had a pretty good run since about 2008 and so forth. So it's going to be interesting to see how that how that pans out. Anything about your the relationship uh, that you and Assurance has with its law firms? Um, what do you look for? What kind of relationship do you look for? And, and, and perhaps what are the things you're looking to make sure you avoid or your law firms avoid? in serving your or, or assurance best interests? So, you know, when we look at external law firms, whether it's um, on, on corporate issues, for transactions, for M&A, for litigation, first and foremost is expertise, right? Do they, do they have yeah. uh, the lawyers there with the necessary experience in, in each one of those areas? Um, uh, you know, we, we write our business through insurance companies, and insurance is a very complicated area. So we're looking for looking for firms. Uh, we look for firms that have experience in in that insurance space, in whatever type of litigation we need. Our, our litigators, we approach litigation where uh, we they primarily work through outside firms, right? So yep. to, to handle yep. claims, to handle cases, yeah. and so. We want to know that those law firms have um, the right expertise in order to do that. We also are looking, we have to be um, cost conscious. So we are constantly testing, you know, our outside law firms on, you know, success and um, uh, and costs and, you know, value, return, return uh, you know, return for the, um, the amount of money that we're spending yeah. on those law firms. We also look for diversity. Yeah. Um, so we have a, a commitment to uh, spending a certain amount of uh, our legal spend on uh, minority-owned firms. So we're looking for, for that as well. And then, you know, it's just trust, right? You, you have firms that you've worked with over the years that you've developed. They've, they've learned about you. You don't have to uh, teach them each time. And you've developed a, a trust in uh, their, the advice and, you know, the, you know, the tactical advice that they provide. So um, there's a lot of different things that go into when we're choosing um, outside legal assistance. Yeah, and uh, the commitment to diversity, I'm not sure if um, that includes a commitment to the NAMWF firms, of course, the National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms. I had a plug, um, a few plugs on, on this episode. They're a fantastic organisation. Certainly, I'd encourage everyone out there that's got a similar commitment to reach out to NAMWF because they are a fantastic organisation and, and a great selection of uh, minority-owned firms. So... Uh, uh, so I'll plug there. Now, speaking of diversity, I, I have to say Assurance is a real standout. I know it's been, and I'm going to read this out because it's been um, named the best place to work for the LGBTQ and equality uh, community and equality for four consecutive years, years I think since um, uh, 2018, with a 100% score on the Human Rights Campaign in 2022 and con consistently a standout on the Corporate Equality Index. And there's also, I think more recently, the company was announced as one of you know, Forbes 2021 
employers, best employers for women too. So there's a clear commitment by the organisation on diversity inclusion for women. Tell us a little bit about more that uh, more about that. You talked a little bit about how the legal department, in relation to its outside counsel, has got that goal. Tell us a bit more about the organisation, perhaps any other initiatives within the legal department along those lines. I'll tackle each one of those in turn. First, the yeah. LGBTQ, the human rights campaign, and our, our perfect corporate equality index score. Uh, this is one that is uh, very important to me personally. I take my role as a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion very seriously. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but uh, you know, getting personal. I'm also the proud parent of a gay son, and he has been uh, very lucky in his life to have a supportive community and yeah. a family that respects and yeah. reinforces who he is and gives him you know, the ability to be his authentic self. But frankly, not everybody is as lucky. And I recognize that no. our company recognizes that too many, too many in that community still experience adversity and bias. Um, and so, you know, we, it's important that that community and frankly, all underrepresented communities uh, get the respect that they deserve. So I take, I'm, I'm very glad, I'm very happy to work for a company that has shown uh, leadership uh, on, that, on that specific issue. But, you know, it's, um, you brought up uh, the women's um, issues as well. You know, look, like most companies, we're competing for talent, right? We want the best. And the more we listen to employees' needs and we introduce new benefits, new programs, new resources, the more likely we are to attract and retain the best talent. So, you know, women, I'm, I'm super proud that in my department, in our law department worldwide, 67% of our team are women. Uh, and that does not drop off in the highest ranks like you see in many companies. In fact, 80% yeah. of the most senior women and compliance professionals that we hired last year were women. So, you know, how do we do it? Well, we, we show people the respect that they deserve. And we, we launched an enterprise resource group at Assurant, um, whose mission is to support women in their personal and professional growth by providing mentorship, leadership development, sponsorship, to drive empowerment and engagement and to provide a, fo a forum for them for collaboration and to engage with leadership in an open environment. It's critically important, um, but I think it shows, it shows real returns on, on the investment. Yep. And empowering for, well, obviously for individuals and also for the organization as a whole and, and the way in which you're going to meet your strategic objectives. Bringing all of that together, making sure all of the cultural alignment is there, all of those initiatives, that is the way, and it's now being proven time and time again, that is how you're going to deliver on your strategic objectives, as well as it being absolutely the right thing to do. So, I agree. Um, so you, you must be super proud. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in any industry, so not just insurance, not just the legal profession, you know, we all have to recognize the inherent biases that we have, right? But to, to overcome it, you have to create processes, you have to create policies. So it's things like diversely recruiting, training, and, you know, we've done that at, at Assure. We've tried really hard over the last few years to really understand each other's diversity. And we've done it purposely through a, a series of events that we call Courageous Conversations, 
that featured dialogues between the CEO, between management committee members like myself, other team members from historically underrepresented communities. And it's just super powerful for those communities to be heard and to be seen through those conversations. So it, it takes effort. And um, I think you know all companies have to do it, but the legal profession has to do that as well. Uh, Jay, I'm going to wrap up with some of my favorite questions. The first one I'm going to put out there is, um, tell me, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past that on reflection hasn't been time well spent? You know, I, I would say, you know, early in my career, I think, that, you know, there was a time at which I felt like, you know, I had to find that right job, that if I could, you know, only get that right job, that would it would ensure success for the rest of my career. So, you know, earlier in my career, it meant yep. getting that best summer associateship at the best firm, the best clerkship, and then the yep. best job. And yep. what I would say that I've learned over the course of my career is there, there is no best of anything. There's no guarantee that any one job or experience is going to predetermine the rest of your life. You know, I, I, yeah. I, you, you saw over my career, I tried new things, right? I, I went into government. Yeah. I did, you know, I did the clerkship, and then rather than going to a firm, I went into government. From there, I, I went into uh, government affairs. Again, not the traditional role of, of lawyers. I then went to become a chief HR officer, and now I'm a chief legal officer. And you know, throughout the way, I zigged, I zagged, and I didn't worry about. Yeah. Uh, whether whether each one of these was the best thing that was going to unlock you know every door for me going forward, uh, and so uh, I'd say that was the thing that I like others um, probably worried about yeah. too much earlier in my career. But once I let it go, it was it was empowering. Well, uh, I usually follow up with you know, what's the advice that you give to your twenty five year old self, but it certainly sounds like that's some advice that you give to your twenty five year self that. Um uh, not, yeah. not to worry about that perfect position that's going to give you the trajectory to the you know the, the successful career. You know, it's funny you say, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? You know, I ask myself, <laughs> what advice should I give to my 26-year-old son and my 21-year-old son? And um, it is, it's there, precisely There you go. I, I, I've got... Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of them. Well, I've got certainly 25-year-old son and 21-year-old daughter and 27-year-old daughter too but that I, that's funny because I what one of the benefits of being able to ask and have answers to this question I and I because I love playing the back because got people who are at that very age right now it's funny I think the real question is not what the advice what advice would you give to 25 yourself and that you think you'd actually also take that's the bit that's the hard bit too because you can give the advice but I'll tell you what it's it's the actual accepting the advice when you're that age that I think is the bigger challenge you know definitely um, you know what I try to say to my sons yeah. is don't assume you know you look at your managers you look at leaders and you assume they always knew uh, where their career would lead because you know when you're in your 20s, uh, yeah. There again, the, the imposter yeah. syndrome that we discussed earlier. You know, you think yeah. everybody else knows exactly what they want to do, and everybody else is, you know, on yeah. this trajectory, and I'm not. And um, what I try to say to them yeah. is, you know, th these these leaders, these managers you have, they have no idea when they were in their 20s, they had no idea what it was they wanted to do for yeah. the rest of their lives. Um, it was not preordained. It, it, it's wrong. So take risks, yeah. try new things, learn from them. 
and realize that you're going to learn more from your failures than you will from your successes. So uh, that, that, that's the advice I try to give. That's that. actually, yeah, and that's right. It's a, it's a if you can if you're able to at that stage in your life and career understand it's really about a journey of learning learning experiences, and that certainly one advice I would have given to myself is just to take a bit more risks in relation to that journey because it is about those experiences and it's what you learn along the way that really pans out for um, a hopefully a successful and varied career because that's what you want. It's, if it's not varied, the likelihood is you're not learning along the way. I think, I think that's clear. You know, when I look at my career, I've taken risks, you know, along the way. So I, you know, I became yep. the uh, head of government affairs at um, uh, at the Hartford in the middle of the financial crisis, never having worked on insurance issues. Um, but I learned them, yep. and uh, you know, I, and and I became an expert in them. I became a chief HR officer yep. at Guardian, never having worked in HR issues. Uh, but you learn them, and you become an expert. And at each step along the way, you realize you can do it, and it makes risk, risk taking easier. And, and that's what I try to tell yeah, my, my sons as well. Take them. Uh, don't worry about it. If you fail, that's okay. That's part yeah. of the process. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's incredibly empowering, actually. It, that risk-taking and recognizing that you can learn and it might, doesn't necessarily matter if you fail, it is incredibly empowering. So uh, I, I think that's fantastic advice. Jay, it's been great having you on the episode. I've really enjoyed our discussion. Thanks so much for joining me and bye-bye for now. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.